Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thank you for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Elisa Valderrama, co-founder and CEO of FutureProof, a climate-focused insured tech that's raised nearly $10 million in funding. Elisa, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Hi there, Brett. Nice to be here. Yeah, so before we begin talking about what you're building, can we start with just a quick summary of who you are and maybe a bit more about your background? Sure. So I am from San Diego. I am an environmentalist and an ocean person. And I think you know my journey as a founder has really been driven by questions that I've tried to answer as an environmentalist. So from a young age, I would say, I was really puzzled about the fact of you know, pollution. Why was it that no one had to pay to pollute the air or the water? And even here in San Diego, which is you know, hardly the most polluted place on earth, it still remains the case that every time it rains, the runoff from the streets is polluted and it makes the water at the beach so polluted that you aren't supposed to touch the ocean water for 72 hours after a rainstorm. So as a young person here, I was confused about this. Like, why doesn't the city treat this polluted water before it gets to the beach? This is the key amenity and the only reason people really want to live in San Diego. And we're despoiling this amenity every time it rains. And over time, I realized that you know, while the cost to build these infrastructure and treatment facilities was calculable and knowable, the cost of polluting the water was never even calculated. It's considered an externality, not part of any fundamental financial calculations that you know, were being done at the time, probably still aren't being done today. And so that makes the investment in water treatment just hard to justify from like an ROI perspective, right? So as I got older, you know, I realized this problem is much more serious and widespread. Fundamentally, it comes down to the language of environmentalism and the language of finance just being different languages. And as long as there's no established way to calculate the financial impact of environmental harm, you know, the pollution is going to keep happening. And of course, I think this brings us to climate risk which is in some ways the utmost expression of, of this problem. So given what I was good at, I thought, you know, better laws and regulations probably could help take care of the problem. Maybe it was a matter of new accounting regs, securities laws. So I went to law school, I uh, studied securities law and corporate governance. And at the time, I even came up with some novel approaches for, you know, how to use security regulations to hold polluters accountable. But at the time when I graduated from law school, there was really no job for me to take doing innovative legal work, the intersection of climate risk and finance, unless I really wanted to be an academic. But I still wanted to burrow into this topic. So I took my career in a different direction and approached this more like a bottom-up approach to project finance, working for then over a decade, helping cities find creative ways to finance large-scale energy efficiency retrofits <laughs> in commercial real estate and later in urban flood management solutions at the Natural Resources Defense Council. And my thought there was that I could learn something from these projects that had both a profit component and environmental benefit. But ultimately, this larger question sort of haunted me in the back of my mind. How would one go about translating environmental cost into financial cost, translating climate risk into financial risk? And those are some of the questions that we really wanted to answer when we, we founded FutureProof. And to zoom in a little bit on the early years there, how old were you when you first started to ask yourself these types of questions? And 
what led to you asking these questions in the first place? You know, were your parents talking about these types of topics? Did you read a book in school? Like, where did it come from? Yeah, it was just, that's a good question. I think it was just, it seemed incongruous to me that we lived in, you know, what seemed to be a very modern, developed city. And yet we essentially had an open sewer into the ocean. And I was literally, it's just, this sounds funny, but I was just frustrated that sometimes when the waves were good, you couldn't get in the water because the water was polluted. And it just struck me as something that was so strange, so out of place. You know, our streets are clean. Again, San Diego is not a particularly, you know, it doesn't seem like a, a wasteland in terms of pollution, but it just seemed like a glaring contrast to have that polluted stormwater running from storm drains. And you can see it. So it just really struck me as something that was incongruous with the rest of what it felt like to live here. And uh, also one other thing that was happening, now that I think about it, I signed up in high school to go out and test water quality with my chemistry class. And so we would go out there and test the water quality at our local area beaches. And it was surprisingly dirty. And that was very disappointing to me. So, you know, those are some of the factors there, just like the reality of, you know, big city infrastructure and pollution just kind of caught my attention. And in the the pre-interview, we were talking a lot about you surfing. So it sounds like this all started from a a surfing problem. You couldn't get in the water. Embarrassingly, yes. But (laughs) the good news is... (laughs) It led me from, you know, that very unimportant problem to, I think, what is actually helping to solve a very, very major global problem, right? Which is this issue of, it's not just about the inability to translate the cost of polluting the Pacific Ocean on a rainy day to financial terms. It, the problem is much, much broader. And our inability to calculate the financial impact of climate risk, I think, has been a huge, a huge barrier, right, to being able to you know, address this issue of climate risk head on and really mobilize the forces of commerce around finding solutions. It reminds me of that meme of the dominoes where you know, the first to fall is the surfing problem and then you know, it just keeps escalating into you know, these massive, huge problems that you're uh, tackling today. But I like the, like the starting point. Two questions we'd like to ask just to better understand what makes you tick as a founder and as an entrepreneur. What CEO do you admire the most and what do you admire about them? Sure. So I think on this one, I would say CEO that I admire the most is uh, Yvonne Chouinard, the founder of Patagonia. I can relate to him, I think, because he built a successful company as a response to a problem he saw in the world, right? In his case, the problem was low quality outdoor gear resulting in more waste, more trash, and production and the use of that gear being destructive for the environment. And so he wanted to create stuff that would last. And then I think the part that I find really exciting is that in the process of him solving that problem that he saw, he ends up creating a new category, outdoor gear that, sure, met his main goal, be better and last longer. But since he came at it from a different perspective, he also ended up building new stuff that looked cool. People wanted it even if they weren't going outdoors. So he was really a guy on a mission and Patagonia was able to execute on his mission and become so successful that others in the industry followed it. So I think you know, rather than being interested in business in some traditional sense, you know, he really wanted to get at the heart of a social and environmental challenge that he observed and then use a business model as a way to scale a solution. And I just think that is a great kind of North Star for, for us here at Future Proof. Yeah, that's such a good call out. And it's refreshing to hear someone that's not a tech CEO. And I think with Patagonia, I can't really think of another company that's as, I guess, for lack of a better description, like as aligned as they are. 
everything they do really does seem to align with the mission. I think a lot of organizations, they have, you know, a mission statement or things like that, but it's kind of BS and, and not connected to the product or their day-to-day actions. But it feels very real with Patagonia from everything you read and see from the brand and, you know, just touching the products as well. Right. So I think there's just a wonderful space for an insurance company to be kind of, you know, branded in similar ways in terms of really thinking about the environment and climate risk from the ground up. And that's kind of what we've done here at FutureProof, with, you know, in terms of scaling our analytical model into a managing general agency. Nice. And I know we're going to dive into that in one second here, but a final question for you. What book has had the greatest impact on you as a founder? And this can be a business book or just a personal book that influenced how you view the world. All right, cool. So on this one, I think I have two responses. <laughs> well, one is a book about broader life skills and one's really a shorter article that really inspired me about the work we do today here at Future Proof. So a book which has had a huge impact on me as a founder is a book called It's Easier Than You Think by Sylvia Borstein. It's a really a short, it's a series of short anecdotes that illustrate Buddhist philosophy. But because of the way the book is put together, it's super easy to plug in and get a quick like nugget of inspiration or get provoked to think about something in a different way. And I have found, particularly since starting Future Proof, the book is so relevant. Like a lot of the lessons and the nuggets in the book, I just find so applicable in the context of an early stage startup. So, you know, like things like, you know, you don't always get to choose what you get in life, but you can't always control your attitude and your style of dealing with it. And just the notion of creating your own reality and the fact of mindset being everything, super relevant to, to startup stuff. And you know, pain and, and pleasure being things that are inevitable in life and the ups and downs of a startup. But keeping in mind that both pain and pleasure, ups and downs are impermanent. Everything comes and goes. So just stay focused on the mission and not get bogged down. And then, you know, like the kind of classic Buddhist stuff, like aspiring to non-hatred, non-greed, non-delusion, not being trapped by fear. And so kind of having this mindset that if there's something that feels overwhelming, but it's generally within the realm of something that I could reasonably expect myself to do, mm-hmm. you know, I should do it. And so those are some of the, you know, I'm not saying I'm all like zen out and highly evolved, but the book I find uh, really fun to read and just full of these wonderful nuggets while not directed at a business audience have certainly made me, I think, a more effective leader. And the second kind of piece of writing that I would recommend and get excited about is not a book, But this, again, is the one that got me inspired about insurance in particular. Uh, I read this in law school. It's an article from the New York Times Magazine, but 2006 or 2007, articles titled In Nature's Casino. (laughs) It's a fun read. Uh, Lewis, as you probably know, uh, Michael Lewis is the author, and he's such an an entertaining writer, right? So like, sometimes I send this article in Nature's Casino to job candidates that we're interviewing because the article is about the birth and evolution of the catastrophe risk modeling world. Catastrophe risk models, as you may know, are how the insurance sector evaluates risk from perils like hurricanes or earthquakes. And the article is really about how prior to the innovations of the startup cap modeling firms about 30 years ago, loss projections were just not that great. And the whole insurance industry just sort of lived with it. But then this new school of entrepreneurs like Karen Clark, Kimon Shaw, came up with new models using updated data for projecting losses. And these models were so much better than what was being used. And then other entrepreneurs like John So helped link catastrophe risk to capital markets to spread that risk through insurance-linked securities. And so it was really in reading that article while I was in law school that it first dawned on me that insurance 
was likely at the heart of the issues that I cared the most about related to pricing climate risk. So I had gone to law school, believe it or not, with this mindset of attacking the problem of, you know, translating climate risk into financial risk. And when I read that article, I was like, huh, maybe this isn't just a legal problem. And what I eventually said along was that legal approaches could provide some you know, procedural mechanisms, but the article really planted the seed in me that the substantive solution that I was looking for probably would come from the insurance industry. And that's because the property insurance industry is the part of the economy that most directly bears financial losses from climate change. So I just sort of kept in the back of my mind that, you know, whatever this price signal around climate risk was going to be, it was probably going to originate from the insurance world. And it was when, when I read that article in Nature's Casino that I finally kind of made that connection between the issues that I was so passionate about and insurance. That's fascinating. I've read a number of his books and they're always great. So I don't even think about him as a journalist, but I'll have to check out that article. That sounds super interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun read. He does a good job, right, of like going in depth on a topic, but also just being such a deft writer that you get caught up in the, the personality sketches and everything. I just saw he was just in the news the other week. He's uh, I guess he was in the middle of writing a book on FTX as that whole collapse happened. So that's his new book. <laughs> I don't think he writes it up his alley. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, let's dive into future proof finally. So can you just give us a high level overview of what you do and the value that you bring to your customers? Yeah, great. So Futureproof is a venture-backed property insurance MGA. And an MGA, you can think of like an insurance company with no balance sheet, kind of like a beginner insurance company. And what we do here at Futureproof is use our proprietary AI-driven projections of losses from hurricane, wind, and flood to power our insurance underwriting and pricing. So we underwrite and price algorithmically, and then we deliver quotes via our API. So this provides instantly bindable, price-differentiated quotes to wholesale brokers. So with Futureproof, where we began, that's kind of like the summary of what we are today, but where we began was really with this question of what would it look like to translate climate risk into financial risk? And again, thinking about which entities directly bear the cost of fiscal climate risk and that climate-linked perils cause damage to real property. So we started looking at the impact of physical climate risk on property. And R&D team, led by my husband, Alex, quickly realized that the best way to truly understand and model the impact of physical climate risk on real assets was to gather insurance claims and use AI on the claims. The reason the claims are so important is because in the claims data is captured this essential relationship between the magnitude of apparel, property characteristics, and losses at an asset level. What we didn't realize at the time was that training a model on claims data was new for natural catastrophe property insurance. And as a result, we ended up with what we have today here at Futureproof, which is a unique, and I would say uniquely predictive, view and pricing for flood and hurricane risk. And what our unique view of risk entails is that we are able today to help close the coverage gap and offer quotes for properties that other insurers might not want to insure or for which they would charge an exceptionally high price. And the industry really needs this. Uh, today, as, as you may know, wherever insurers are not sure how to price the risk, you know, they'll usually choose one of two options. Either they can charge exorbitant premia or they just choose to exit in an area or region where they cannot understand climate-related risks. So you have insurers exiting areas like Northern California or coastal Florida. And these are decisions driven by broad underwriting rules that will 
simply exclude, say, properties within a quarter mile of the Florida coast. And so that's kind of our foot in the door. We built this uniquely predictive view of risk, and we're using this unique view of risk to power our MGA. That will in turn help our insurance carrier partners and reinsurance partners to write profitable business in markets that otherwise might have appeared undesirable. So right now, we're starting with the Florida homeowners market in the excess and surplus lines. In the longer term, FutureProof can use its models to innovate also in terms of new insurance products. Uh, we have in mind concepts like longer-term insurance or community-scale catastrophe insurance or insurance that provides built-in incentives for investments in adaptation and resiliency. So we kind of start as this baby insurance company, but the hope is that we eventually put ourselves in a position to really innovate in terms of kind of reimagining what the insurance industry can do in the face of climate risk and investment in adaptation. Very fascinating. Now, I was on the consumer end of this. I got, or I was living in a place called Sag Harbor, New York a few years ago and randomly got a letter that my insurance was not going to be renewed in three months because of hurricane risk, which yep. was a surprise to me. So interesting to, to hear what's happening behind the scenes there. Can you talk to me about where you're seeing the most traction and you know, what market you're seeing really drive demand here? Sure. So I think we decided to launch in Florida, which... <laughs> No pun intended, or maybe pun intended, you know, the eye of the storm here in terms <laughs> of just being a state where there are just massive challenges for the insurance industry to select and price risk. And it's obviously a very large property insurance market. There's a huge amount of insurable value along the coast. And, you know, it's one of the places where our model is also most predictive. So I think as a venture back startup, we're going straight to the place where the demand for our edge is highest. So we are launching with the Florida homeowners product. And I think the good news is, given the predictive power of our model, we've been kind of doing a bit of a roadshow with insurance carriers and reinsurers. There's a lot of interest in kind of what we're bringing to market. It's something that folks haven't seen before. And I think we're in the right place at the right time. And what have you done to build trust for your model? Because I have to assume that if it were to be wrong, the stakes could be massive. So what have you done to really build out that trust? So I guess probably every industry is unique in its own ways. So we work with a reinsurance broker and that reinsurance broker, one of the largest reinsurance brokers in the world. And they essentially, I would say, matchmake MGAs like FutureProof with reinsurance providers. The reinsurance provider you know, provide, takes on some of the balance sheet risk from the risk that we underwrite. And so we are working with this large reinsurance broker and what the large reinsurance broker has done as part of their sort of roadshow they take us on, aside from introducing us to reinsurers and carriers that are excited about our product and for whom our product is, you know, fits like a puzzle piece with what they're trying to do business-wise, they also have provided third-party validation on the performance of our model. So they sent us you know, 270,000 odd addresses from Florida for a past event and asked us essentially to, you know, do a test and use our model to predict losses. And so then based on the performance of that out of sample testing, they kind of have like a proof point of, hey, had you been working with FutureProof for this past hurricane event, here's how much better you could have done than working with the industry standard models that you're working with. So I think that's kind of a major component of, I think, what differentiates us is that we do have this unique view on risk collection and pricing. And then with this third-party 
validating our model. It's no longer us just saying, oh, we've done a lot of out of sample testing. It looks really good. We now have a major industry standard, you know, reinsurance broker saying, hey, we've kicked the tires on the future proof model and it's actually extraordinary and unique. Amazing. And what's your North Star metric when it comes to traction and, and growth? And are there any numbers you can share with us to highlight some of that traction that you're seeing? Sure. So we are looking to raise a Series A later this year. So we're still kind of pre-launch, but I would say our milestones for the Series A are threefold. We want to line up uh, capacity from a reinsurer, have an insurance carrier that will provide the paper that we underwrite on, and then we'll have the MVP of our algorithmic underwriting platform kind of launch. So those are the three kind of core milestones. And what we're looking to do in our first year is between 15 and 20 million of gross written premium. So that would be kind of like the, the general North Star of what we'd be looking to show for our first year in the market. Nice. That's amazing. And when it comes to market categories and category creation, what do you think about market categories and the market category that Future Proof is in? Yeah, so we are, I would say, we did initiate the company as a climate risk analytics platform. And I think we have since evolved, we're now an MGA. So we are not selling analytics into the market. We're not selling a catastrophe model. We are using our own unique model to select and price risk on behalf of insurers and reinsurers. So in that regard, we are an MGA. But instead of sort of being the outsourced, say, distribution or a claims management component, we are actually the outsourced risk selection and pricing. And that's just, you know, kind of something within the category of things that MGAs do. So we're not creating the MGA category, but I think we are really helping it evolve on this issue of risk selection and pricing. That's really at the heart of what insurance is all about, which is understanding the risk. And then, you know, kind of helping, I would hope, to pull the industry forward in terms of understanding, you know, the role for insurance as it relates to helping lay groundwork for adaptation to climate risk and financing climate resilience. So one other thing I wanted to ask you for the... People like me who just buy insurance and don't know anything about the space, can you explain what an MGA is? Yeah, sure. So I'm an MGA, Managing General Agency. Again, the kind of most essential definition of it is it's like an insurance company, but it doesn't have a balance sheet of its own, which if you think about it as a venture-backed company, you know, we're not going to have the capital to have a balance sheet of our own. Once we did have a balance sheet of our own and start taking risk on our own balance sheet in that regard, we become kind of more of a full-stack carrier. But as an MGA, you know, you kind of are the outsourced helper to a reinsurer and a carrier. And MGAs can perform any number of functions. So there are MGAs that just focus on distribution, right? We're going to build a direct-to-consumer platform and it's going to look better, right? Or they can focus on claims administration or policy admin. So MGAs can perform a whole bunch of like subtasks on behalf of their carrier and reinsurance partners. In our case, we are focusing on the risk selection and pricing. So we will look to our carrier partners or third parties to do the other components of, you know, claims administration, policy admin type work. Got it. Makes a lot of sense. And thanks for clarifying that. And as I'm sure you've experienced so far in your journey, taking innovative products to market is not easy. And yet building startups is not easy. What would you say has been your single greatest challenge so far? And how do you overcome that challenge? Yeah, I think for us, just like we started with this principle of what would it look like to translate climate risk into financial risk? And I think the challenge for us was really once we had built a sort of analytical model that began to answer this question of translating climate risk into financial risk, we knew we had something that was new. But I think for us, finding a go-to-market strategy and like understanding what would be the appropriate business vehicle for delivering the solution to market 
has been, I think, our main challenge. We did start out life as a climate risk analytics firm. And the motivation there was that, again, it kind of stemmed from a long-term frustration that climate risk analytics has historically, and is still today, considered more of an ESG type issue. You know, environmental social governance concerns, it's like nice to have, and it's still something that is assessed in a qualitative way. And we wanted to kind of help evolve that conversation by translating climate risk into something that could inform an essential discounted cash flow model, right, for a real asset. We wanted to kind of bake climate risk into something that was a core component of an investment proposition or category. And that was kind of where we started. And I think our evolution was that once we took a step back with our model, we realized that in many ways we had leapfrogged where the traditional you know, kind of finance industry was when it came to climate risk. We had built a risk decisioning tool and a lot of folks in finance, believe it or not, uh, were still mostly interested in an ESG type tool with qualitative risk assessment for climate, maybe color-coded charts and stuff like that. And I think we just kind of overbuilt, frankly, for what the financial industry needed. And the good news and happy news for us is I think we you know, really built something novel and applied it in insurance where there's a desperate need for a more incisive and asset level view of climate related risk. So once we realized that we had innovated in a way that really had huge benefit in insurance, the challenge for us was just, <laughs> uh, you know, really pivoting and deciding to scale future proof as an MGA and building out a really superstar insurance team and, you know, product folks who understand insurance and kind of getting all of the infrastructure in place at our company to really um, be able to, you know, build this into you know, a transformational climate smart insurance company. Makes a lot of sense. And another question for you is just on the climate tech ecosystem, which in recent years has just seen a lot of attention, which is great. And I think there's been a lot of funding go into climate tech. So what have you done to stand out with investors and, and capture their attention and, and get them to believe in this vision that you have? Yeah, great question. You know, there InsureTech has been, I think, an area of increasing interest over the years, but I don't think it's every day that an MGA comes along with a new view of risk selection and pricing. So Hippo and Lemonade and that generation of prop tech insurance or you know property related insurance company insurtechs, they innovated in another part of the insurance value chain that also really was in deep need of innovation, right? More on the distribution side. And I think we are kind of maybe a third wave of insurtech, which is innovating on you know, this issue truly at the heart of what insurance is all about, which is the risk selection and pricing. So, you know, in terms of distribution, we're doing something innovative there as well, in the sense that we are building our analytical model into an algorithmic underwriting platform. And so that that's exciting because believe it or not, in insurance um, for, for property, uh, NatCat, a lot of insurance underwriting is still manual. You have human underwriters who take the results of a catastrophe risk model and then will manually adjust that model up or down based on other data sets that they'll look at. Um, you know, we look at a 0-100 score for roof condition, a bunch of other factors. And so it's there's still a lot of like human in the loop when it comes to insurance underwriting for property. And I think given what we built, our analytical model, you know, we were able to kind of easily translate that into something exciting in terms of underwriting as well, their algorithmic underwriting. So I think, yeah, those are kind of some of the issues that we are doing that are, that are new and different. So we have something new on the substance, which is sort of a differentiated quote that we can offer that'll look different from other quotes because we have a different view of how to select and price the risk. And then we deliver it in a novel way as well. 
through this algorithmic underwriting platform. So those are kind of two of the novel things that we're doing. And I think of the VCs that I speak with, I don't think anyone has seen anything like it before. And there's a lot of interest. Nice. That's awesome. We'll ask a couple of questions here before we wrap up. What excites you most about the work you get to do every day? I guess for years, the four future proof, I was lucky. I always had jobs that I loved and they were always related to my interests. But I always felt like I was, you know, again, getting back to this question of translating climate risk into financial risk. Again, I kind of really delved into more project-based approaches to that and project finance. And it was because I couldn't really find an institution <laughs> that would allow me to work on this broader idea that I was excited about, you know? And so I think I was trying to find ways to work insurance into the jobs I was doing even when I was doing the project finance work. And it always just kind of felt like a, a side hobby. And when it came to my real work, I felt like, you know, I was always a little bit of a misfit. Maybe I was before my time. Maybe I was just wrong sometimes trying to think about this kind of issues around climate risk and insurance. Obviously, you can't know in the moment. You know, but at the time, I was always trying to bring these issues into my work. And it was always kind of, you know, people looked at me like, why are you trying to bring insurance into this? Like, well, <laughs> you know, just kind of confused. And I think in contrast today, I'm just very excited and grateful to know that I'm right where I'm supposed to be. It feels good to finally be in the place where I'm able to really bring these ideas to light and our company is in the right place at the right time. And I'm also excited, I would say, that it's not just me anymore. In fact, it's not remotely about me. We have a huge team of actual subject matter experts who took this kernel of an idea and are now bringing their own important contributions to really shape the direction of our work. We have incredible engineering talent superstars from the insurance sector and data science fields. So I think what gets me excited on a daily level is really about our team, that we've come this far and we've been able to attract, you know, this level of talented folks to get this very ambitious and high stakes job done. And I think that's, I guess, another prong of what gets me excited. I just think we're working on one of the biggest and most high impact ideas I can think of when it comes to climate change. And maybe you hear this too, Brett, but I hear people say all the time, oh, solving climate change is going to require this deep re-engineering or reordering of the global economy. And, you know, I just think to myself, like, insofar as insurance is really the grease on the wheels of global finance and commerce, the type of ship that folks have in mind, it's never going to take effect without insurance evolving and getting fixed first. So I just find it incredibly energizing, humbling that we get to work on this very difficult, very consequential problem. That's awesome. And it's very inspiring to hear you speak because it's just so clear the passion behind everything that you do. So it's always fun to have founders on who really believe in it and, and have a strong passion for their business. Yeah, I'm definitely all in on Future Proof. We've, it's been, um, you know, again, this started when I was a kid in some ways. It's just been this like lifelong journey of like, what would it really look like to try and solve this big problem? And it just feels like it's we're, we're still early stage, right? <laughs> we haven't raised our Series A yet, but it feels truly exhilarating that I feel like I'm finally able to, you know, make a mark on this important issue. And that, again, being able to bring the team and bring the talent that we have mobilized here at Future Proofs, like we actually have more than a good chance of solving this problem. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And last question here, let's zoom out into the future. So three years from today, what's Future Proof look like? And what's the impact look like that you're having on the industry? Oh, awesome. Okay. So I would say in five years, we're in all 50 states with homeowners, commercial insurance as well. We have differentiated insurance policies. So, you know, maybe there are longer duration policies 
think about a five or even a 10-year insurance policy. And crucially, the future-proof insurance policies have financial incentives for investments in resiliency built in. And then (laughs) this is the Patagonia component, right? Not only are we doing something different, but maybe in five years, other insurance companies will have started to copy us. Then we'll know that we have shown value. And then we know that we've really started to drive change. Nice. I love it. Unfortunately, that's all we're going to have time to cover for today. But before we wrap, if people want to follow along with your journey as you continue to build, where's the best place for them to go? Yeah, we are on LinkedIn at Future Proof Technologies. And we are fairly quiet presence on Twitter as Climate Risk One, number one. And then our website, while still scant, is up. It's futureprooftech.io. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and chat, talk about what you're building and share this vision. This is all super exciting. And we wish you the best of luck in executing on this vision. Thanks so much for having me, Brett. All right. Keep in touch.